0: Hey, thank you for joining us online today. My name is Steve Polk. I'm the executive pastor here at First Baptist Rock Hill and it's an honor to have you join us uh, for these online sermons. Uh, pastor Steve Hogg is gonna bring a really powerful message to you today. Go ahead and grab your Bible, a notepad and a pen and get ready to take some notes, write down some questions so that you can have some conversations maybe within your family later today. Are you ready? No, all the shopping done? All the baking done? No? Party still to plan and attend? I want you to think about when you were a kid and Christmas, some of your favorite traditions, favorite memories. Um, When I was a little kid, we did what a lot of kids used to do, especially is write a letter to Santa Claus. And y'all write a letter to Santa? But ours were mailed to a local radio station And our tradition was every afternoon after school, we'd rush home, gather in the kitchen, turn the radio on, and just listen day after day until we could hear Jenny Crossway read our letter live to Santa. And that was a big deal when she told Santa what I wanted. And like a lot of other kids, I wanted to catch Santa. I wanted to see him in my house on Christmas Eve. And you remember going to bed and you'd listen? Like you hear that rain up there, you want to hear that walking on the roof, or, you know, the reindeer paw, remember that? And, you'd, and, and, and the house would creak, mom and dad would do something. Is that him? Remember those days? So one time when I was really young, I, I wrapped myself up, I rolled myself up in a rug and kind of like a worm, I kind of scooted and rolled down the hall till I could see the Christmas tree. And I thought in my mind, I'm hidden, Santa cannot see me, and I'm going to stay here rolled up in this rug until I see Santa. You know what happened? I fell asleep. When I woke up the next morning, Santa had come, gifts and all, and I'd missed, I hadn't seen him. As as Christians, As followers of Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas is the coming of Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus Christ. And when he he came, listen, he didn't sneak in and out in the middle of the night and no one see him. When Jesus came, thousands of people saw him. And he didn't give us a gift necessarily that we want. He came to give us a gift we need, and it doesn't break. It's an everlasting gift. It's eternal life. And this celebration throughout Christian history has been called by many Advent. The word Advent simply means appearance or coming or arrival. And the Bible particularly the New Testament talks about two advents of Jesus. The one that took place approximately 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem when Jesus arrived, appeared, when he came. And the one that hasn't happened yet, the advent that is in the future when Jesus arrives a second time, when he appears again, when he, when he comes back. And what you and I are going to do this Christmas season is look in the books of First and 2 Peter, which we're reading in our Bible reading plan, and look at what Peter said about those two advents of Jesus, the one that took place at Bethlehem and the one that will take place. That's what we'll talk about next Sunday. And then Christmas Eve morning, we're going to talk about who Peter tells us this Messiah, this Jesus, really is. This morning, what does Peter tell us about the first advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ. So go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Peter. And when you're doing that, I want you to be thinking for just a moment. Um, if, If you were to, in your own words, okay, your own words, your own way, in one sentence, describe to someone, explain to someone why Jesus came at Bethlehem, what would that be? What would you say? So take a minute right now, quickly, where you are, and tell the person beside you, Jesus came for this. What's the reason you, how would you explain why Jesus came? Go ahead and tell your neighbor right now. Why did he come? Well, we're going to look at what Peter said about that. Why Jesus came at Bethlehem the first Christmas. And you'll remember that Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he was also part of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John, those three disciples spent more time with Jesus than the other nine, saw more things than the other nine. And Peter is part of that inner circle. And in his letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he tells us a lot about Jesus. And I want you to see, we're we're gonna look at a few verses. One thing he said about why Jesus came, look at verse 20 of chapter one. Let me see your copy of God's word. Hold it up, come on. Amen, thank you so much. This is December, it's Christmas, so bring your Bible next Sunday if you didn't today. Verse 20, for he, Jesus, for he was foreknown. Your Bible may translate that word differently. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. The the coming of Jesus Christ was not something that God decided somewhere along the way in response to something some of us did. Jesus coming at Christmas was part of God's forever plan. From the very foundation of the world, when God was creating the the universe, He knew what you would do and what I would do. He knew what you would need and what I would need. And so from the very beginning, knowing all of that, his plan, his forever plan, was he was going to send Jesus, God's eternal plan. It's not an afterthought. That's been his forever plan. But I want you to notice at the end of verse 20 that he said he's going to send Jesus, he's going to appear for the sake of you, for your sake. Literally in the Greek, it is because of you. Because of you, now let that sink in for just a moment. That Jesus came at Bethlehem because of you. Last weekend, Monisha and I were both in Kentucky, different places, but both there. I drove to the mountains in Southeast Kentucky to visit mom who's 86 in the nursing home with dementia, to see my brother and sister and others. Meanwhile, Monisa flew to Louisville about four hours from where I was to see her niece and brother and other family members. And, and, and we both went, why? Made that trip, because it's family. You love family and you want to see family. Any of you ever made a trip to see somebody you love? Hmm, raise your hand, give me a witness. You ever taken a trip because you wanted to see people you care about, people you love? Jesus came because of you. Now think about John 3, 16 in light of that. God so loved the world that he Gave his only begotten Son. He came because of you, because he loves you, and because you needed him to come, whether you knew it or not. He came because of you and because he loves you. Wow, what a thought. Just like I drove to see my mom, Jesus came because of you. Look at two more verses in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 don't have time to read that, but what he's telling us there is that the Old Testament prophets going back to to Moses Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and all the prophets in the Old Testament knew God was going to send the Messiah hundreds of years before Jesus and knew that the Messiah would suffer. Just think about this, 1,500 years before Jesus. Jacob, one of the three patriarchs of the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he was an old man, shortly before his death was talking to his son, Judah. It's in Genesis. And he told Judah that the Messiah who would rule the nations would be one of his descendants would come through the tribe of Judah. Judah. The psalmist in the Old Testament said the Messiah would be called the Son of God and that his body would not see decay, pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said the Messiah would be born of a virgin and that he would be called Emmanuel, like the angel said that first night, Emmanuel, God with us. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah the prophet said the Messiah would be rejected by his own people and during his trial would be silent. Isaiah said he would be slaughtered like a lamb and die with criminals. And you remember that Jesus hung on a cross with two thieves dying on either side of him. Isaiah the prophet said Jesus would bear or carry our sins and would die for our sins and also told us that Jesus would be be buried by the rich. Even though Jesus was poor, it was Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent and wealthy man who took his body from the cross and placed it in a brand new tomb. And Isaiah said that the Messiah... Would justify, make right with God, save many, many, many people. Another prophet, 700 years before Jesus, named Micah, said that Jesus would be born in the oh, old little town of Bethlehem. Zechariah. A prophet five hundred years before Jesus said the Messiah would enter the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem that last week riding on a donkey, the people laid palm leaves and branches in front of him. We celebrate that on Palm Sunday every year. And there are others, but what's what's the point? What am I saying? That Jesus coming at Christmas, Jesus coming at Bethlehem, his first advent was not an accident, not an afterthought, not a last minute adjustment of some kind, but part of God's forever plan. Because from the very beginning, God knew you and what you would do and what you would need, that each of us would need a Savior. And from the very beginning, God decided he was going to make that happen and planned to send his son. And the prophets for centuries told us about it. Look at another verse in the second chapter of 1 Peter. And let's learn more about why Jesus came. In chapter 2, look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed look at the first part of that he bore our sins in his own body Isaiah said the Messiah would suffer a cruel death and Jesus did and his body has the scars from that death I've got scars on my body. Any of you have any physical scars on your body? huh? Um, I've got a scar here. When I was little, growing up on the farm, there was a knoll near the barn. And since all of our family were coal miners, my cousins and I decided we were going to make our own coal mine. So we dug a tunnel back in that knoll, and we had our mining timbers and boards to prop it up just like a real coal mine. And one day I got to thinking as a kid, I wonder how strong that really is, this roof. I'm going to test it. So I climbed up on that knoll over that tunnel, our pretend coal mine. We had our carbide lights. Some of you young people have to ask your grandparents what a carbide light is. And uh, I got on top of that and I started jumping up and down. I'm going to test it. Is this really strong? It wasn't. I fell through, and when I did, a nail on one of those beams caught me and cut my arm open. Still have the scar. I have a scar on this knee. We were playing football out in the, out in the yard one day, and I got tackled and kind of taken over the hill, and there was a, some brush, and it just pulled the skin right off my kneecap. I have a scar here because I was playing basketball in high school and a guy who couldn't jump as high as me decided he'd just kind of tackle me from behind and my forehead hit the hardwood and busted up, and opened my head. I got, I, forgot, I got a scar here from Rotator. How y'all want to compare scars? <laughs> the most prominent one is here because a long, long time ago when our kids were little, When Monisa and I had our very first van, before they had electric sliding doors and all that, you had to do it manually or the old-fashioned way. And um, we were having one of those not-so-friendly husband-and-wife conversations. You ever have one of those? And we'd stopped at a rest stop coming back from Kentucky, and we were still having that not-so-friendly husband-and-wife conversation, and my emotions were running a little high, and I reached up and went like this to close that trunk door of the van and it took the flesh off my forehead right there and I can still see the sweetest woman on earth my wife I mean sweet and kind and tender laughing at me and saying you deserve that (laughs) and I did but every scar on the body of Jesus is from the cross From the suffering leading up to his crucifixion. And he went to that cross at Calvary to bear your sin, carry your sin. He came because of you, he died because of you, he died because sin. Scarred you and me and everyone, and sin leaves scars. My mom, who I was with last weekend, carried a big scar. She had a twin sister. And they were born out of wedlock, and back in those days. You know, the late 30s, that was. And her parents never married. When she was just a little less than one year old, her mother brought her and her sister to the house of their father's parents, and they were raised by their grandparents. She called them Mommy and Poppy. She would be 20 years old before she saw her mother. And that left a real big scar. Sin scars, doesn't it? Some of you are carrying some scars. And I can remember so many times that scar rearing its ugly head in mom. But if you look at the verse we just read at the end of it, it says... By his wounds, through his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah said, by his stripes, the beating of the whip, the suffering of Christ, we are healed. And someday when I preach mom's funeral, the main point I'm going to make is that mom was a prime example that Jesus radically changes people. Mom was saved when I was in high school, and I remember the mom before and the mom after two different people so last weekend when we're in Kentucky, when I'm in Kentucky visiting mom it's Saturday and I'm in the nursing home and so I FaceTime Jack and our daughter out in Los Angeles so they can see each other and talk and you have to remember now mom's on this 30 second recycle of the same questions and then she has those moments, you know, she, and so they're, I'm, they're, we're talking for several minutes there on FaceTime with our daughter and mom. And, and during that conversation, I asked mom, hey, mom, what is one of your favorite hymns? And she says, Amazing Grace. She, she's sitting in a recliner and she says, Amazing Grace. I said, mom, you remember any of the words to Amazing Grace? And she said, I sure do. I said, do you now? And she said, I sure do. I said, mom, can you sing it? Then you gotta remember, mom sings like me, bad. Mom starts singing Amazing Grace. Never heard her sing in my life. And she sang the whole verse one of Amazing Grace. And I can see on my phone, Jacqueline is doing everything she can not to just lose it. And I had a little tear myself. See, God's grace, Jesus can give some beauty and, And some love and some peace and some healing were sin scars. And he said, "I I came to do that for you. Why is there Advent? Why did Jesus come? Because of you. He wants to put some healing medicine on the wounds of your heart and life, He wants to cleanse you of your sin and the stain of guilt. He wants to change you. He wants a relationship with you. Look in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse 18. We memorized this verse earlier this year in our Bible reading plan and D groups. For Christ also died for sins once for all. Jesus died one time for every sin of every person, everyone alive today, everyone who lived in the past, everyone who will live in the future, one time for every sin of every human being. He didn't die for some. He didn't die for some sins. He died for everyone and every sin. there is no sin in your life that cannot be forgiven if you come to Jesus. There is no one who cannot be healed and saved if they come to Jesus. The just for the unjust, he says in verse 18. Jesus, the just, the innocent, the righteous and pure, dying for me and you and everyone else, the unjust. We are non-innocent. We are not righteous. We are not pure because as the scripture tells us, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The just, the innocent one died for us. The non-innocent, the guilty, the sinner, you and me, he came for us and died For us, why in verse 18? That he might bring us to God. Reaching out his hand, saying, Come, take my hand. Stop resisting, stop saying no, and let today be the day you say yes. Let him bring you to God. See, relationships are a two-way street. God is reaching out to you. Jesus is doing his part. You have to do your part. What is your part? Say yes. Say yes. That's why he came for you. So say yes. You see... The way to God is not some path you follow. The way to God is not living in a certain way that makes you worthy to be with God and heaven. The way to God is not something you do that earns you the right to be there. Jesus said it this way. I am the way. I am the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So say yes to Jesus and have a relationship with him. One last passage I want you to look at. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 18 and 19. He says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. What does it mean to be redeemed? It was used to refer to someone who's been kidnapped and you pay a ransom to win their freedom, their release. The word was used of someone who was a slave, and another person pays a price to purchase their freedom. And God tells us in Holy Scripture that all of us, because of our sin, are slaves. Whether we know it or not, everybody in our culture talks about free to be me. The truth is, you are a slave without Jesus. A slave to your sinful nature. A slave to the power of sin and its consequences. Slave to death and the grave. A slave to hell. And you can't free yourself. Jesus came because of you knowing you could not free yourself. He came to do what you could not. He came to free you, how? By paying the price to redeem you and set you free. And he didn't make that payment with perishable things like silver and gold, like Christmas gifts that don't last He paid to redeem you, he says in verse 19, with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, without sin, the blood of Christ. That's the reason you can't do anything to free yourself. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. It's the reason that in the 1800s, those hymn writers wrote a lot of songs about the blood of Jesus. Hymns like what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the, the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No, no other fount I know. Nothing but the there's another song from the 1800s. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Or the hymn Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the, the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Say it with some enthusiasm. And then the chorus. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you? No, really. Are you? In verse 2, Peter said, those who have been washed in the blood as though though they've been been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. It's an image taken from the Old Testament. More than 1,200 years before Jesus, Moses and the Jewish people were at Mount Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments and the covenant that they would be God's people and he would be their God. And at the base of that mountain, Moses built an altar and then offered a sacrifice and poured some of that blood on the altar and then sprinkled some of it on the people, a picture, a symbol of their fellowship with God. In the Jewish temple... Worshippers would bring animals to be sacrificed and the priest would slaughter them and some of that blood would be sprinkled on the altar and at certain times some sprinkled on the people some would be taken into the temple itself at times and, and, and sprinkled at the curtain that divided the outer room of the temple from the holy of holies and then on the day of atonement once a year the high priest would take some of that blood into the holy of holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat picture of God's presence, making atonement for the people's sins. And it's in the sacrifice, it's in the death of Jesus, the shedding of blood, the giving of his life that he says this, this sprinkling of the blood, this, this you repenting of your sin and coming to Jesus, that his blood is sprinkled on you and it's as though you are washed clean. Atonement is made for your sin. The guilt is washed away and there's forgiveness and only Jesus can do that for you. And so I ask again, has Jesus' blood been sprinkled on you? Are you washed in the blood? For that's the only way you'll ever see heaven and the only way you will ever know God. If you've not been washed in the blood, not been sprinkled, not repented of your sin so that you are trusting this day in his grace? I'm going to ask you to give your life to Jesus and let him cleanse you and save you and heal you right now. Pastors are going to stand here at the altar. We will stand and sing a song. And I'm asking you as soon as we stand and start singing on the very first word, you start walking. You come to one of these pastors and just like I went to see my mom, just like Jesus came because of you, you come to him. Do your part. Say yes. Come to one of these pastors and say, I'm repenting of my sin and I want to be saved and forgiven. I want Jesus' blood to wash away my sin. And I want to spend the rest of my life in gratitude and joy and thanksgiving, living for the one who cleansed me and healed me and saved me. Come to one of these pastors if you need to ask for baptism or join this church kneel at this altar and pray about your own relationship with Christ pray for people by name who are far from God and if there's a wound a scar in your life and you need the grace of Jesus to put some healing grace and healing salve on it come and kneel and pray